When we are looking at our children or our students, we are looking for that area between what they can do and have mastery and then the outer edge of what they think they can do. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Well, listener, if you, like me, are eager to hear the next part of our talk on motivation, you have come to the right place. (laughs) So last week, Andrew, you talked about the four forms of relevancy. And can you just name them off really quickly? Yep. Intrinsic relevancy, the Mm -hmm. highest and best form. Kids are just interested and you allow them to pursue those interests as much as you can. Inspired relevancy. Uh, They are around you or someone who loves what they know and loves what they do and that love is contagious, that it's a vicarious experience and you may not have been interested but because someone is and you like that person, you are now interested. Uh, The third form, contrived relevancy, in case there's no one who's particularly interested but you still want to have a positive experience, you can make it into a game. Mm -hmm. We talked about strategies for making games work. And then the fourth form of last resort, enforced relevancy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Learn this or suffer. Mm -hmm. And uh, we want to try and avoid that because the learning tends to be a bit on the superficial side when that happens. So that was part one of the two parts we have here. Okay. And so today we have the three Laws. Three laws. And what I've been waiting to hear, the two secret weapons. Of course, after today, they won't be secret anymore. No, um, but there's really no secrets. There's just new people. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. So these uh, laws or or principles, it's kind of like one law and two corollaries. Okay. They're very closely related, and they have to do with, uh, I think, you know, my observation over the decades of teaching other people, teaching my kids, teaching other people's kids, and you know, even running a business to some degree, even being motivated yourself, yep. which we often have to do. We mm-hmm. have to you know, get up and say, okay, what am I going to do today? Are, have you ever been called a motivational speaker, Andrew? No, but get me Get me a coliseum with 20,000 people <laughs> and, uh, I don't know, maybe a 10 grand honorarium to okay. talk for a few hours. I can be a motivational speaker. <laughs> okay. Actually, I think I'd be better than Anthony Robbins, but, <laughs> you know, I just haven't had a chance. Right. <laughs> no, but we're, we're focusing on, on, of course, education and mm-hmm. teaching children. And so the three laws of motivation, I think, hold a key to – helping us prioritize our time, curricular choices, Mm -hmm. the way that we use the curriculum and materials that we have. So we'll start with the first law, and that is that children like to do 
what they can do. Okay. I'm sure you've observed this. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, as soon as you start hanging out with children, especially young ones, that's the first thing they'll tell you. Look at me. Mm-hmm. Look at what I can do. Right. <laughs> right. My my uh, granddaughter at three uh, wanted, you know, she, she always wanted to show me how she could leap from the couch to the coffee table, which is pretty solid, fortunately, okay. <laughs> and back and back and back and back. And she always wanted me to watch her do this. And if I looked away for even a moment, Grandpa, you're not watching, right? <laughs> she wanted to show me, and she wanted to do that because she could, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, my uh, grandson, who's a little bit older, he'll usually start a conversation. Grandpa, did you know, mm-hmm. and then proceed to ask me if I know something, which inevitably I don't. And then he takes such great delight in, you know, telling me that. And this, I think it's true. It's true for all of us. We're, we're motivated. We like doing the things we're good at, mm-hmm. right? There are certain parts of my job that I really like mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Most of them involve standing in front of audiences and talking to people. Yes. Uh, there are certain parts of my job that I don't like nearly as much. I'm not good at those which is why I have excellent people to help to, to do those parts of the business that they are good at. Yep. And so we have complementary uh, experience in life. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's very important to attend to what children can do and can do well because they're going to be very motivated to keep doing those things. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, if you cook I do cook. And I I enjoy cooking. Mm -hmm. We like cooking Mm -hmm. because we think we're good at it. Yes. (laughs) Right? It's true. Um, You were just giving me a recipe for purple potato soup. Yes, yes. And cheesy uh, artichoke. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, If we don't think we're good at it. Recipe link in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) If we don't think we're good at it, we probably don't like doing that Mm -hmm. as much, right? And so in, in terms of developing skills, you know, this is very, very important. And uh, this kind of leads into a previous talk uh, that I've done on mastery learning mm, right? Uh, about how, you know, when children uh, try something like, well, play the violin, which is my background, mm-hmm. if they keep playing the pieces that they already know, then those pieces get better and smoother mm-hmm. and more polished. Mm-hmm. And there's a great enjoyment in that part of the process. Yep. If they only try to learn new pieces and they don't continue to play the pieces they already know, and those pieces kind of slowly crumble and, and degrade to the point where they can't play what they used to be able to play, mm-hmm. that's frustrating. Sure. That's demotivating. Mm-hmm. All right. So that is... The first law is that children like to do what they can do. And I think that ties into the intrinsic motivation, right, somehow? Well, they, they would build, wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. If, mm-hmm. if you're good at something, you like it, you do it more, you get better at it, you mm-hmm. like it more, you want to do it more. And there's a, there's a, a strengthening of the intrinsic. right. Right. So, yeah, there is that connection as well. I hadn't really thought of it. But. Well, and and now I'm going to just take that one more step and talk about a book that you and I have both read, and that was Discover Your Strengths, the Strength Finder book 
put out by some of the Gallup people. They did all these surveys of businessmen and basically not just businessmen, but people and came up with 30 or so strengths that people have. And the whole point is don't try and work on your weaknesses because you will not have as much satisfaction as if you work on your strengths. If you work on your strengths, you will get better at the strengths. So I like that idea. Well, and, you know, school-age kids don't have quite the luxury (laughs) of choosing only the things they like and avoiding the things they don't. You mean I still have to do my math homework even if I don't like it? Yes, um, because it will be useful for you someday. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But that, yeah, that is true. So I think it carries over, Mm -hmm. you know, from teaching and childhood into adult life. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And we should, as we kind of get older, have increasing freedom to do that. Right. All right. The second law then, or it's kind of just a corollary of the first, and that is this. Children want to do what they think they can do. Oh, okay. Children want to do what they think they can do. In fact, it's almost impossible to prevent a child from trying to do something if he or she thinks that he can do it. Yes. My son, for example, when he was about 10, wanted to jump off the roof of the house. Okay. Why? I had no desire whatsoever (laughs) to jump off the roof of the house. Why did he want to do that? Because he had the idea that he could. So he did. And then he did it again. Successfully without breaking legs. And again. Wow. And again until it moved from the want to Mm. into the like to Mm. category. Right. Um, He and I just kind of tried to keep that a secret from his mother who did not think 10-year-old boys jumping off the roof was particularly a good idea. Fortunately, this was only a one-story house. Uh, true. One story <laughs> house. But then he, he grew up into a teenage boy who got in for a while to parkour. Mm. Do you know what this is? Sort of. It's it's teenage boys basically throwing their bodies off skyscrapers and leaping great distances and trying to not get hurt. If you ever, oh, moms out there, would like a spine-tingling experience, go watch parkour fail videos on YouTube. (laughs) Yikes. (laughs) How about just parkour in general? Successes? Yeah, yeah. Happy endings. Yeah. I don't think any moms really like to watch that kind of thing. But, you know, boys in particular, you know, have that desire to try and do what Mm -hmm. they think they can do. I Mm -hmm. think I could climb that mountain. I think I could leap from this rock to the next rock. Yep. Uh, and, And it doesn't ever go away. I mean, that's kind of a basic ambition. Yep. You know, we think we can do it. We're willing to try, right? Yep. I think I could stand mm-hmm. in front of 20,000 people and talk for two hours. I know a lot of people who would not want to stand in front of 20,000 people yeah. and talk for two I hours. I would be one of those people <laughs> not wanting to do that. Um, but I want to because I think I could, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So when we are looking at our children or our students, we are looking for that area between what they can do and have mastery and then the outer edge of what they think they can do. What they think they can do. Right. So Mm -hmm. if a child sees a math problem Mm -hmm. and looks at it and says, I think I could do that, Mm -hmm. I have enough information and experience, they'll be very willing to try Mm -hmm. that math problem. 
if they look at a math problem and say, I can't do that, mm -hmm. they would be very unwilling to try. Mm -hmm. uh, so it carries over. You know, if you, if you look at a, a Latin sentence or maybe you study Spanish or French or something and you, you look at it and you see the familiarity of it and you say, I think I do know enough that I could translate that, you're totally willing, almost even happy mm -hmm. to try. Mm -hmm. If you look at it and immediately think, well, I don't know those two words and that ending is weird, I don't think I can do that, right? So uh, children want to do what they think they can do. Okay. And a lot of this uh, goes back to inspire, mm -hmm. right? How do we get inspired to think we could do something? Mm -hmm. Especially as a child, very often it's because we observed another person, maybe even another person our sex and age doing something mm -hmm. or maybe a little bit older. We say, if he can do that, I could do that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then we're, we're inspired to try. So we want to. Right. I think that happens a lot with our writing course, courses. The kids sitting in a classroom, a virtual classroom, they're at home. They're observing you teaching a group of students who are, quite frankly, having too much fun in your classes. <laughs> and uh, quite frankly, you're allowing them to have too, <laughs> too much, much fun. fun. And they're, they're looking at this going, I don't think I like to write, but those kids seem to be enjoying this. Maybe I can enjoy this sure. too. And I think in many ways that video is the magic of why IEW, Structure and Style for Students, is so successful. Well, and I never would have imagined it, but over the years, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we had the first iteration mm -hmm. of the student writing intensive, and then we had the second much, much better uh, that we lived with for almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. I have had so many parents say that their kids were so engaged, they were talking to the television. Mm -hmm. They were raising their hand in mm -hmm. the living room mm -hmm. because they felt, yes, they're mm -hmm. in that group. So being part of a group of people that are enthusiastic, who are doing something, being successful, experiencing that, causes you to believe, yes, I could do that. Um, mm you know, pep rallies and uh, multi-level marketing convention. You know, the whole, <laughs> the whole world is kind of geared toward let us help each other, mm -hmm. you know, believe. Mm -hmm. And so that's a, it's a huge part of it. If, if a child believes he could do it, he wants to try. Yeah, sounds great. However, the third law or the corollary is this. A child will hate and refuse to do mm that which he believes he cannot do. Mm -hmm. A child will hate and refuse to do something which he or she believes cannot do. Right. So one of my friends often says, people don't hate math. They hate not being able to do math. Mm -hmm. But isn't that true? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Isn't that really true? Nobody hates math. Math is elegant. But you hate having a problem you cannot resolve. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's what gets frustrating. Mm -hmm. Now, if you get some help and then you see how that works and you solve the problem and you try it again and maybe get a little bit of help but not quite as much and you solve the problem and pretty soon you look at another problem just like that and you go, I know how to do this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then you want to. But if you don't get the help uh, and you keep getting the problem wrong and wrong and wrong and you, you're not understanding it and it's, it's impacting because what happens is when you have a little bit of failure, it may not completely defeat your willingness to try again. Right. But you hit a threshold 
of failure. And it could be different for different kids. Absolutely. Then you give up, right? Mm -hmm. and, and yes, different children are more or less resilient. So, you know, an example in my life is snowboarding. <laughs> I mean, I, I went snowboarding one time. Why did I go only one time? Because the one time I went was so awful, so frustrating, so overwhelmingly painful and cold and, <laughs> and just it was a failure. It was a complete failure. Hmm. My feet were tied to this thing and I couldn't make it move and I just fell on my face and fell on mm -hmm. my back. And mm -hmm. I tell you, one day and no, no success, I was done for life, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> I just, you know, next time they said, Dad, let's go. I, forget it. Mm -hmm. You go to the snow, board, ski, whatever. I'll go fly somewhere and make some money and pay for your stupid trip. But I'm not getting on a snowboard ever again. And there's nothing that could make me mm -hmm. short of a gun to my head mm -hmm. or a very large five-digit number tax-free <laughs> in gold bullion. Uh, why? Because I, I had such a bad experience. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm, I'm not very resilient, you mm -hmm. know, at 50 years old. <laughs> uh, of course, the kids, they didn't quite understand my attitude. Mm -hmm. They said to me, come on, Dad, just, you know, try. Try again, you know. Once you get the hang of it, it's fun. We know you could do this mm -hmm. if you would just try. I didn't believe them. But how often have we been on the other side of that as adults saying to a, a child, I know you could do this if you would just try. There is nothing more useless you could possibly say mm -hmm. to motivate someone to try something. So it's, it's tough because you get that kind of momentum of, of not feeling successful or being criticized mm -hmm. or corrected to mm -hmm. a point where you just say, I I'm not even willing to try anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know, that can happen. It kind of connects with one of the four deadly errors we talked about not too long ago, which is uh, the deadly error of withholding help. Right. You know, when teaching writing, if a child is just all on their own and it's sink or swim and they're not swimming and they're sinking, not helping them is not helping at all. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Um, what, what does work and we have found is give them as much help as needed mm -hmm. and then they start to move from – I am not good at this to I'm not not good to, hey, I'm kind of good. Mm -hmm. I love our, our little promo for the SSS, mm -hmm. um, Jack. Mm -hmm. that, that is just priceless. He, he's so cute. Yes. He says, when I started this class, I wasn't very good at writing yes. at all. <laughs> but now I'm pretty good. Now I'm pretty good, yes. <laughs> um, it's just to me, you see the transformation mm -hmm. of a child who is equipped with the tools, mm -hmm. given the general as well as the individual help, mm -hmm. and encouraged by hearing what they read, being acknowledged for having done, mm -hmm. you know, a good part or a, even one good sentence, even one great word. Yep. Right. Yep. And that shifts that mm -hmm. attitude from I, I can't to I can. Uh, so we have to be very careful because one of the things I've noticed, sad but true, children will often prefer punishment than failure. Right. They, they will often choose to refuse to do something and suffer whatever consequences you want to dole out mm -hmm. than to do it again and feel that, that feeling of failure mm -hmm. again.
Those are the three laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, very easy to sit around and talk about them. Yes. A little harder to implement them. Right. I would say kind of an ideal target would be to in any given subject or skills development area. Mm-hmm. And certainly this was what I was uh, promoting with my violin students. You know, if you spend 60 to 80 percent of your time doing what you already can do mm-hmm. and make it better, smoother, more polished – and then 20 to 40% of your time trying to do something new right? and having help enough to experience success in that process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 0% of your time trying to do something you believe you cannot do, you'd have a 100% perfectly motivated person. <laughs> right. <laughs> but sometimes you have to do those things that you don't want to do. It's true. Mm-hmm. And, and there are other reasons why you might not want to do something. Mm-hmm. But I think... Mm-hmm. For the most part, especially when it comes to, you know, what we might call school, mm-hmm. you know, for kids, you will find almost universally the things they don't want to do are the things that they believe they are not good at or that mm-hmm. they cannot do well right. uh, or cannot do at all. Mm-hmm. There are some things that are more of just a discipline that takes concentration. Yeah. And we could do a whole podcast on attentiveness mm-hmm. and concentration. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, um, human functions that are somewhat decreasing in the modern technology-afflicted environment. True. Yeah, it's very true. But that's that's a subject for a different day. Yes, it is. Uh, so in terms of using the three laws of motivation, spend most of your time doing something with children that they can do and help them get better, faster, mm-hmm. smoother. A little bit less of the time, but a good amount of it, having them try to learn something new, face a challenge, Mm -hmm. and help them through. Be sure they have Mm -hmm. the tools and the support to be successful. Zero percent of your time asking them to do something which they believe they cannot do. And remember, your opinion is not relevant to their motivation. You you will have a much more motivated human being. Okay, let's hear those secret weapons. Yeah, well, two secret weapons are really kind of just two sides of one coin. Okay. The first idea is something that many people are familiar with, and that would be what is sometimes termed the emotional gas tank, Mm. or better, the emotional bank account. Okay. So what we've probably all noticed is that correction takes a bit of an emotional toll, Mm. right? If you do something and someone has to correct you, you may understand that and even cognitively welcome the correction. Mm-hmm. But emotionally, it takes a bit of a drain. And, and yeah. we all experience this. Mm-hmm. And children certainly experience this. Mm-hmm. And I think often, you know, as adults, you know, parenting or teaching children, we kind of forget that you know, there's a fragility in many Mm, kids. Tender hearts. Yeah, tender Mm -hmm. hearts. And one of the things, you know, my experience in teaching violin is that the whole thing is about correction. As soon as anyone picks up a violin, they're doing everything wrong. Right. (laughs) Right. it's, It's almost a continuous process of correction and refinement. And it can become an unpleasant emotionally draining experience very quickly mm-hmm. if it's just, you know, oh, that's wrong. Do it this way. Oh, you got to fix that. Okay, remember, don't forget that. Oh, you forgot. Okay. And after, you know, five in a row, you're just like, I'm never going to do this. I'm done. Yep. 
And so Suzuki had two points, uh, maybe more than two, but two that come to mind right now to help us avoid the pitfall as teachers. Mm. Number one, he he liked to do the one-point lesson. Mm. And he always talked about this. Don't try to fix everything all at once. Look at one thing and teach that one part of what can be improved. Mm. And and don't worry about everything. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, once there's progress there, go to the next thing. Okay, one-point lesson here. Mm -hmm. And maybe for several weeks, just this one thing. And when Mm -hmm. that's improved, okay, go to the next thing. Mm -hmm. And and it would almost be a spiral or a cycle around. And I think that's maybe a little bit more of the Asian temperament. We uh, Westerners, I think, have this desire to just make everything perfect all at once. Okay. (laughs) But the other thing he talked about was uh, emotional bank account only with a twist. Live off the interest. Oh, okay. So, you know, the gas tank, you fill up a gas tank so that you can drain it down. Right. But a bank account, you fill it up, and if you get enough, you should theoretically be getting interest mm-hmm. that you could withdraw, but you keep your principal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My, my grandmother lived for decades off the principal. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry, off the interest from her investments. Okay. Didn't right. touch the principal. Mm-hmm. But she she lived because her husband had provided for her enough, I mm-hmm, guess. Mm-hmm. He died much younger. And and so I was in Japan, and it was the Carter years. Oh, right. Right? So you could live off interest, right. you know. It was like 8 9 10% mm-hmm, interest. Mm-hmm. Borrowing to buy a house was like 12%, yeah. 14%. So right now people don't get the idea you could actually make money by saving it, but in the days, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the idea was build up positive in the bank account mm-hmm. so that when you have to make a, an emotional withdrawal mm-hmm. by making a correction, you still have the principle. Mm-hmm. So I came back from Japan and I thought, okay, 10%, I will, I will set a 10 to 1 ratio. Oh, okay. I will actually make an effort to say 10 positive things to a student before making the first corrective comment. Mm. And just little things like, hey, you're on time. Thanks so much for being on time. Really makes my day go better when students are on time. And I know how hard it is for my kids to get their mom anywhere on time. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I appreciate that. Or, hey, that's a cute outfit you got on. Of course, I don't know if it's cute, but I do know one thing. 13-year-old girls spend half an hour trying to figure out what to wear. Yes. (laughs) That's true. Or or longer. Mm -hmm. Oh, your violin's all polished up. That's great to have a nice clean violin. I don't know if she polished it. Maybe she didn't touch it for a week. I'm not talking false praise, but I am saying, you know, find small positives Mm -hmm. because that just builds things up. Mm -hmm. You know, my wife says to me, whenever I put on a tie, she goes, you look handsome. Well, I don't look that much different, but she knows, okay, I've got a tie. I've got to go do something. Right. And I never tire of hearing that, especially (laughs) as I get older. Uh, So that idea. Uh, mm-hmm. And I used to actually count on my fingers mm-hmm. 10 things before I would kind of start, you know, okay, here's what we got to work on today. Mm-hmm. And I found that, you know, carries over really quite well into all things that you're mm-hmm. teaching with children. And mm-hmm. I would think it carries over into, you know, managing people yes. as well, mm-hmm. which you do more of than I do. <laughs> uh, the second is really just the other side of the coin, and it's the nonverbal way 
of saying, I love you, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the world goes better when people love each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will say, you know, as a 30-year-old violin teacher, you don't say to a 13-year-old girl, hey, sweetie, I love you. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you're here today. No, you find other ways. And one of those is just to smile. You know, when you smile at someone, it just <laughs> makes them think, hey, it's good yeah. to be here together. Yeah. And it's contagious. Mm-hmm. If you smile at someone long enough and hard enough, no matter how crabby they are, they will ultimately smile back, either because you know they finally get it or they realize how hard they are trying to not smile mm-hmm. back and then they just crack up because it's so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I used to, in my early days, you know, practice smiles mm-hmm. in the mirror. Okay. <laughs> I know this is a weird thing, but I, I would actually try different smiling techniques in the mirror. <laughs> and then I would go try these different smiles on the students. And <laughs> This is where I wish we had a video. Yeah, of, of me practicing all the smiles. Well. smiles. If, if I ever do this talk at a convention. Yeah. You know, but but it, it's interesting. I have just noticed that those two things are possible for anyone. Mm. It's possible for any parent and any teacher to to do these things, to Mm -hmm. find positive things and to just beam. But it's also easy to forget Mm -hmm. to do that. And Mm -hmm. so I'll finish up with a story I've told probably before on an episode or more. Mm But, you know, I I tell it again because this changed my life really almost more than anything I remember Mm -hmm. from when my kids were young. I was in the uh, the Spokane airport. I was going to fly to Boise and be gone for a week. And my little daughter, Fiona... Mm-hmm. who was young, eight at the time. She was just the daddy's girl of all daddy's girls. We were just so close, and and she lost it, and I'm going to leave. And she's like, Daddy, do you really have to go away again? Because I miss you so much when you're gone. Mm-hmm. My father's heart is of ripped course, out. Yeah. I'm like, this. yes, I have to go. I have commitment. This is how I support us. I thought, wait a minute, Spokane, Boise, this is a cheap ticket. Made a quick phone call, arranged it. I said, you want to go with me? She's like, really? Mm. I said, yeah, just we'll buy a ticket right here, and you can get on the plane and go with me to Boise for the week. And mom was like kind of worried, I think. And I, I said, no, we'll go to Walmart and buy a toothbrush and some underwear. I'm not totally incompetent. <laughs> so I took her, and I let her sit in a writing class. And uh, all the kids in the class were, you know, a little bit or quite a bit older. And I don't even know what she did. I pretty much just ignored her mm-hmm. because I was very busy helping all the other kids. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the first day, the first class, I don't even know if she copied half the keyword outline off the whiteboard or not. But I didn't care. Mm-hmm. It wasn't why she was there. Mm-hmm. And she went off, stayed with this family for the rest of the day, and I drove to pick her up. And it was going to be a four-day student mm-hmm. writing intensive mm-hmm. week. And uh, driving back to the hotel, and I said, so how'd you like that writing class? And she said, oh, Daddy, it was just wonderful. Uh-huh. And I just thought, ooh, I'm good. <laughs> and then she said the thing that just changed my life. She said, Daddy, how come you're not like that at home? And I realized how easy it is for me to be unconditionally enthusiastic supportive, excited about, appreciative of 
other people's children's efforts mm. and how easy it is to forget. Mm. It's like, yeah, you love me. I love you. We know this. So would you get to work, please, because mm-hmm. we got stuff to do. Yeah. And so, you know, from that day forward, I, I've tried a lot harder to at least get nose to nose with each of the kids mm-hmm. and, you know, say something. Mm-hmm. You know, have I told you recently how grateful I am for all that you do to make our family a better family, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's still easy to forget. It's, so, mm-hmm. it's still easy to get impatient or frustrated with people who you're around all the time. Yeah. And so that particular memory, you know, I think helped remind me year after year after year. Yep. Especially since I get to tell the story, yes. you know, <laughs> dozens of times every year. Yeah, yeah. It's a great story. Yeah. So there we have it. The four forms of relevancy, the three laws of motivation, and the two secret weapons. Sounds great. Thank you, Andrew, so much. This has been very helpful. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.